Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode in Her Space. I have chatted with family members or friends about some of these topics and they are so confused. And I know there are some folks that are like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't really know. Like, this is too much. Those are things that I've heard people say. And so I want to talk about like and drive home. Why is it important for us to be privy to this information and to also have these conversations? Because some people may miss the importance and think, oh, well, that relates to those people over there. But I love to just drive home. Like, why is this important? Yeah, it's important because... Everybody knows and probably loves someone who's not heterosexual or who is not cisgender. Now, whether they know that they're not heterosexual or whether they know that they're not cisgender, that's we don't know that part. But trust me, everyone, oh yeah, in the world, yeah. everyone now yeah. knows someone who is queer, whether that's in relation to gender or in relation to sexual identity. And so that's why it's important because we have. So many young people, specifically young queer people, who are homeless because... Welcome to Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. All right, so our quote of the day. One of the ways that you can work for freedom is to change your mind and to move away from the space of binaries, of simplistic either-ors, and to be able to look at the picture that offers us complexity. And that quote comes from Bell Hooks. That was an amazing quote. I feel like we're going to have to dive in a little deeper and figure out, like, what does that mean to me, right? But before we get into that, all right, lady. You already know it's about to go down. Today, we are covering a very important topic that can potentially come with a lot of controversy, trauma, and ignorance. We're talking about being Black and queer. Do you have questions about the LGBT community? Have you struggled with the intersections of your identity? Today, we have a special guest on the show, Dr. Janina Garrett-Walker, an associate professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of San Francisco. Dr. Garrett Walker is a developmental psychologist whose research focuses on the multiple identity development for Black, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender LGBT emerging adults. She also implemented a university-wide Check Your Privilege campaign that sought to raise student, faculty, and staff awareness around social inequalities and privilege. The campaign also went viral and has been implemented at universities from Canada to New Zealand. Dr. Garrett Walker is most interested in the ways in which Black LGBT young adults navigate and negotiate social 
marginalization, say that five times real fast, in their multiple communities through negative religious rhetoric, racism, homophobia, transphobia, and heterosexism. And we have her here in her space to get her gems and insight just for you. Welcome to Her Space, Janina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. We're so excited. And I'd love for Dom to just reread that quote of the day. And if we can just talk about what that means for for us, I think that would be really, really helpful to our listeners here. That was a powerful quote from Bell Hooks. It really is. And Bell Hooks comes up with so many gems. And so it was hard trying to find one that really fit and really kind of captured what we want to talk about today. So one more time, the quote is, one of the ways that you can work for freedom is to change your mind and to move away from the space of binaries, of simplistic either-ors, and to be able to look at the picture that offers us complexity. Janina, we're mm-hmm. going to throw it to you. <laughs> when you hear that quote, what do you? what comes to mind for you? Yes, girl. Thank you. Like, that's really the first thing that comes to my mind, Um, because as a society, we are stuck in binary thinking about everything, male, female, night, day, you know, everything, everything is, is a binary, but we often forget about everything that happens in the middle. And so much happens in the middle, you know, yes, there's morning and there's night, but like, what about the afternoon? What about dusk? You know, uh, and we don't we don't spend enough time living in that middle section. And so I think that Bell Hooks is really trying to get people to understand that the binaries is not where we actually reach freedom. We reach freedom where we where we understand the complexity of the lived experience and when we can embrace things that we have actually put out on the binaries. So I'm telling my little quick little plug for deconstructing the binary which we could talk about later as we actually go through all this stuff about the queer community because i think that's one of the main things we talk about in the queer community is deconstructing the binary wow okay so yeah i want to dive right into that but we have an agenda that we want to try to follow so and I can't even, I don't even, I can't even begin. I mean, we can dive into it. If y'all want to dive into it. Agenda. And again, look, if we're going to talk about deconstructing the binary, what's an agenda? Okay. Mm, that's oh, good. okay. That's good. Okay. Two snaps. Two snaps for that. That's good. All right. Well, let's dive in. So when, when it comes to deconstructing the binary, for those of us that might not be familiar with what that really means, Can you tell us a little bit more about what that really looks like? Yeah, so I think in the context of this conversation, when we talk about binary, and I think what Bell Hooks is even saying is this idea that people are male or female, people are gay or straight, people are man or woman, people are masculine or feminine, but that's not, like, we don't really live in that symbol of a world. The world is far more complex than that. And when we actually polarize each other, we do more damage that way because then we set these limited expectations onto each other about where people are, quote unquote, supposed to land on this binary scale when actually the majority of us aren't at polar opposite ends. So if we just take masculinity and femininity for one second, you know, 
no one is really all masculine or all feminine. In different ways, we all exhibit masculinity and femininity in different ways, depending on context, depending on who we're around. And so I just think that, you know, the binary just really means stop putting people, or I should say deconstructing the binary means stop putting people on polar opposite ends of socially constructed concepts. When you explain it like that, it makes me think about the amount of depression, trauma, and anxiety that can come up for people when they're trying to force themselves into a binary. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we do see that a lot. Um, when people aren't able to live in their true authentic selves, we know that that can cause trauma. And we also know that that can cause depression. And that's why there's a strong call I would say from kind of queer advocates and activists to really let go of the binary because it's doing more damage than it is doing good. And it's not only doing damage to LGBTQ folks, it's also doing damage to cisgender and heterosexual people as well. Now, Janina, I definitely, I want to take a step back really quickly and I just want to say that I'm being very transparent and honest right now and saying that this, I'm coming from a place of, um, I want to say well intentions, but also ignorance because based on the way that I grew up, based on the way that, you know, growing up in the church, you know how that goes, you know how that goes. That's all I have to say right there. I don't even have to lead in with anything else, but growing up in church and hearing certain things about how we're supposed to live and how life is supposed to be. I think this is definitely a new um, way of thinking for me and a lot of people that I know. So I would love to dive into, you know, what are some of the common terminology used in the LGBT community or in the academic community that our listeners should be aware of before we get deep? Because we're about to go in deep, y'all. But I want to make sure that everyone's on the same page and they understand, like, you know, what cisgender might be, what are pronouns and things of that nature, so that we can kind of make sure everyone's on the same playing field as we do go into this deep, deep conversation. Right, right. Yeah, so I can go through some terminology. So I'll start with heteronormativity. So heteronormativity is the assumption that everyone is heterosexual. I think that, you know, kind of just going off of what you said about religion and just the black community, there's this like unspoken yet very spoken rule that everyone is going to be heterosexual. And that's just not the case. And so when we assume that everyone's heterosexual, we often erase the experiences of LGBTQ folks who are Black. So that would be one. Another one would be cisgender, like you mentioned. That just means that the sex that you were assigned at birth matches the gender that you live. <laughs> so I know for some people that's like, wait, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know what you mean. Um, <laughs> I think that this is another juncture where we have to deconstruct um, the social construction of sex, what we are born with, what um, biological characteristics we're born with, separating that from gender, which is the social construction and enactment of kind of mannerisms, behaviors, way of dressing that society associates with a particular gender. That makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. That's super helpful. Although those are probably like the two main ones that folks, I feel like will, will get folks sort of on the same page as we continue the conversation. But what about yeah. the pronouns? When people oh. say pronouns, what are, what are they referring to? Yeah. So when people say pronouns, they are really just saying, do you want to be referred to as she, her, and hers? 
do you want to be referred to as he, him, and his? Or do you want to be referred to as they, them? And there are some others that I think are used less frequently. Mm -hmm. There's some that are like Zezer, which are really completely subverting the binary. But that's like a whole nother conversation for a whole nother podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That means we'll Um, have to have you back on. (laughs) Right. I'm I'm happy to do so. But yeah, so that just means do you want to have pronouns that have been associated with womanness? Or do you want to have pronouns that are associated with manness? Or do you want gender neutral pronouns like they, them, which are not associated with manness or womanness? Now, quick follow-up question to that. I I thought I had the pronouns down. I was like, all right, I'm learning. I, I got this. And I met someone, and on their name tag, they had the pronouns she, her, and I think it was they. And I was like, okay, I what is what would that what would that mean if someone has she, her, and they as the pronouns? Because that confused me a little bit. Right. So that probably just means that that person they're comfortable with either of those pronouns. So they don't want pronouns that are associated with madness so they do not want he him and his but they're totally comfortable with the she her and hers but they're also comfortable with the they and the and for that person we don't really know there's no way for us to know how and why they they're comfortable with that but those are their pronouns and that's what we're going to roll with gotcha so if we were to refer to that person and uh if we weren't going to call them by name and let's say that we were going to you know ask a question or refer to that person to another individual i might say dom they want to go to X, Y, Z today. That's how we would use those pronouns correctly. Right, exactly. And I actually just, you know, as a little kind of tip for everyone, I use they, them pronouns for almost everyone, unless someone tells me otherwise. If you have not explicitly told me that your pronouns are she, her, and hers, or you have not explicitly told me that they are he, him, and his, I'm just going to rock with they. Because we often make a lot of assumptions about how people are dressed or what we think that their quote-unquote body type is like. Um, and unless someone tells me otherwise, I just say they them for everyone. Now I have a question, and I don't know if this is something that you'd be able to answer or if we have to bring in um, a linguist. Uh, so I have friends that speak other languages. Mm-hmm. And for them... In their language, using they is a, is not necessarily assigned to based on like a based on pronouns like she him, but mostly used as a form of respect for elders mm-hmm. or more formal relationships. So, has there been any any research or any discussion around how to use pronouns in other languages? Or if that's even an issue in other languages. So I I don't know any research on it, but I know there have been some conversations about it. I think that let's just say in some Spanish speaking cultures, we're used to people doing Latino, Latina. Mm-hmm. But there's also the Latinx, which a lot of people are using now in academia, but also in a lot of um, Latinx queer culture as well and I apparently I don't I can't 100% vouch for this so people would have to kind of fact check this but apparently that has been used for a long time it's not new it's just been reclaimed and I I can't speak for other languages like French or Arabic or or anything else Uh, I, I really am not sure 
Okay. Well, we will consult a linguist on that one, I think. Yeah, we'll have to. And I think that's one of the things, too, is that what makes this so complicated is that there are some things that we don't have the answer to. And so, but one thing that I kind of want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about what does it really mean to be queer? Yeah, so people use it in a different way. So I think that historically queer just meant anyone who was different, right? Anyone who, who didn't fall in line with what society expected. And it wasn't always about sexual orientation. It really could have just been about anything. But queer then began to be used as a derogatory term against LGBTQ people to basically signify them as different than heterosexual people because maybe their mannerisms or their behaviors or their style of dress or who they wanted to be with for the rest of their life or who they wanted to have sex with just didn't fall fall in line with heterosexuality um, or, you know, yeah, so it didn't fall in line with that. But it's been reclaimed now, and it's been reclaimed as kind of an umbrella term to signify anyone still who does not fall within heterosexism or cissexism. And so maybe I should define cissexism. Cissexism means that people assume that everyone is cisgender. As, and, and really ignores the fact that there are a lot of people who are transgender or people who are non-binary. So... I could imagine that some that some of our listeners might be a little confused when we when they hear okay so we have cisgender non-binary mm-hmm. and transgender. Mm-hmm. Most people are familiar with transgender, right? And you explain cisgender. What is what does it mean to be non-binary or non-conforming? So. As we started the conversation about the binary, right, and how it limits us, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people now who are saying, no, I don't identify as a man or a woman. I say, F the whole system. The whole system <laughs> is broken. I don't want to partake in it because they feel that it does not fit their lived experience. Now, for some people, it might be because they feel like they embody a lot of manness and a lot of womanness, and for them, picking one doesn't make sense. Or it could be a person who's like, I don't really embody any manness or any womanness, and I exist in my own kind of way. Mm, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And I feel like I know for me in my journey, I've become more aware of you know just different identities since I moved to San Francisco because San Francisco tends to be a very progressive. A city in some regards and coming from the east coast i have chatted with family members or friends about some of these topics and they are so confused and i know there are some folks that are like i'm overwhelmed i don't really know like this is too much those are things that i've heard people say and so i want to talk about like and drive home why is it important for us to be privy to this information and to also have these conversations because some people may miss the importance and think oh well that relates to those people over there but i love to just drive home like why is this important Yeah, it's important because everybody knows and probably loves someone who's not heterosexual or who is not cisgender. Now, whether they know that they're not heterosexual or whether they know that they're not cisgender, 
that's we don't know that part, but trust me, everyone. Oh yeah. And yeah. everyone now yeah. knows someone who is queer, whether that's in relation to gender or in relation to sexual identity. And so that's why it's important because we have so many young people, specifically young queer people, who are homeless because their parents kick them out. And they have nowhere to go. They're living on the streets. And we're not having that conversation. We're not talking about how many Black parents disown their Black children because they don't fit within a heteronormative expectation that has been placed upon them. That's why it's important. It's important because LGBTQ youth have higher rates of suicidal ideation than almost any other group. And that's why it's important because we need to ensure that there are um, heterosexual and cisgender accomplices out here who are standing up and really supporting Black queer people, particularly the youth. I could not agree with you more. And I remember when I was in high school, back in the day, you know, we all know how uh, the gay community and like the LGBT community was sort of seen back in the day where people would make gay jokes and it was like this running joke even if and I know people that even were gayer and they also made the jokes because it was like okay this is like the cool thing and I remember having um a close family member who came out to me and I knew that he was gay for years but and I get a little emotional just speaking about it but I remember him being so fearful and I remember his dad disowning him because he came out and his dad was like this macho, you know, really manly man. And it didn't take, for me, it took me loving someone that identified that way and saw how the world treated them to realize like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a problem. Like we have to communicate for um, our brothers and sisters and the people that we love to make sure that they can work in the world and just be themselves and not be targeted. Like, why? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that what happens is oftentimes when we... It takes us having an interaction, having a relationship with someone who has an identity different from us Mm -hmm. for us to really understand and fully empathize and then really get on board with let me be a good ally or I like this term Janina used, (laughs) a a good accomplice and really advocate and stand up. Absolutely. And I'd love to just transition quickly and talk about, we we touched on this briefly, but we talked about religion, right? And I'd love to talk about the role of religion in the lives of Black LGBT populations, because I know, like, if you're in the Black community and you were raised in church, we know the things that we've heard growing up. And even though there were people in church that may have identified as one of these identities, that was something that was shunned and they had to kind of keep it quiet. And they, yeah, so I, I just want to dive into that. Like, what is the role of religion in all this? Oh, religion. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Janine and I have had a couple of conversations really? offline about this. So, oh. I, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to dive in. Drop that. Are y'all's viewers ready for the real? Because I'm going to keep it real. That, that's really keep the question. A hundred. How embarrassed do you want me to be? Well, this is why this this is why we said this is why I said like I want Janina on here because I know you're gonna keep it real and we want you to keep it real. We we're ready for you to go there. And even if people have differing perspectives, it's important I think to realize that there are other perspectives that are out there. You should at least be open minded enough to consider other perspectives. And even if you don't agree, just hear it out. You know. Yes, absolutely. I agree. So here's the thing about religion and queer communities. 
religion. Okay, wait, let me back up some. Let's talk about religion for black people. I think mm. we all know mm. that religion stands at the at the center of the black community, right? It is a yes. stronghold. It yes. is a pillar. It has seen us through slavery, through Jim Crow, through the civil rights movement to today. Yep, yep. Amen. We have a whole nother conversation about colonization and how we got there. Okay, that's a whole nother conversation. That's another episode right there. Mm-hmm. But, well, let's take what we got, okay? We have <laughs> Christianity, which is like most black people in the United States of America are Christian, although we do have a good number of people who are also Muslim, but most, I would say, are Christians. And so just as black people, rather you're cisgender, transgender, heterosexual, or queer, you you most likely were raised with it. And with it comes lots of positivity. You know, when you stress, you feel like you can call on God. You can call on Jesus. It gives you a sense of peace, right? A lot of people have used religious religion for positive coping mechanisms um, to decrease anxiety. There's all kinds of ways in which religion has been positive. However, for queer people, it's very complicated because on one hand, they're raised in the black church and they feel all this positivity. They feel that community that you get when you go to church on Sunday morning and when you also go to Sunday school and when you go to vacation Bible school and when you go to choir rehearsal, you know, black people in church. We don't pray. The fish fry, all that. Right, all of that. And so they feel that connection in that community. But then on the other hand, like you said, there's a lot of negative religious rhetoric that you hear in relation to LGBTQ people. And for any gay person who sits in a church where the pastor or the congregation has anti-queer rhetoric or assumptions or beliefs, that is going to do damage to them. And so it's a complicated situation and different people deal with it in different ways. Some queer black people will make the decision to just stay in the church and conceal their sexual identity or conceal their gender identity and never actually really kind of tell anyone or present it. Other people will say, I'm so cool off of this. I cannot be within a space that is going to oppress me. And they make the choice to leave religious institutions altogether. And then there's another set of people who kind of find a way to compartmentalize. Like, people know that I'm gay at church, but they're not really messing with me. I'm going to show up to church, and I'm going to live my church life. And then I'm also going to live my true authentic life outside of the church. And so different people deal with it in a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, it's just unfortunate that some people do have to leave their religious institution if it feels good to them, right? Like they, no one should be forced to leave a community that feels good to them because people don't love them for who they are. And especially when love is the root of Christianity, right? Like we forget about that. People forget that part. So yeah, it's complicated to say the least. Religion is complicated for black queer people. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's the word that kept coming up as you were talking is complicated. Like, damn. Like, how is it that you're coping, you're trying to find ways to cope, and sometimes it's really hard to find healthy coping mechanisms, and you find a healthy coping mechanism, then it ends up being the oppressor. Mm -hmm. 
And so now what are you, like you what are you left to left with? What are you supposed to do at that point? It's like a toxic relationship with good qualities, you know, like mm-hmm. you keep going back for the good stuff, but then the bad times are pretty bad. Yeah, that that definitely sounds complicated. I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing about religion is that religion is not something that you only experience within the edifice of the religious institution, right? Like you go to church and you hear this, but when your grandma's in there and your cousins are in there and your parents are in there and your siblings are in there, when you leave from there and you go home for Sunday dinner or the family reunion or just coming home from school, you're going to continue to hear that negative religious rhetoric even outside of the church, right? Like those messages follow people everywhere they go because the black church has such a stronghold on the black community. That's a really good point. And I think just transitioning to like more relationships, what about, well, what do you notice in regards to a relationship between heterosexual black women and black queer women? Is there anything that stands out in particular to you or do you feel that there's like a, a an allyship there in general? So, I mean, there should be an allyship, right? But we, we know that that's not always the case. Of course, there will be some Black women who are going to stand in solidarity with Black queer women. But there's also going to be a lot of them who don't. And they're not going to because, um, one, religion. Black women are the most religious group in the country. And so if Black women are the most religious group in the country, they're more likely to maintain um, anti-queer thoughts and beliefs. And also, too, Black women uh, oftentimes don't check their Black male partners, right? The heterosexual Black women have to check their male partners who are homophobic. So if you've got a man who's out there talking about, oh, that's just hella gay. Oh, excuse my language, sorry. Um, <laughs> Use whatever language yeah. to get real colorful. This is, this is an explicit podcast. <laughs> Rated R. Rated R. <laughs> yeah, so if you have male partners or brothers or uncles who are out here, you know, with their homophobic language, you need to check them, especially if you call yourself having a gay man who's your best friend, right? So, like, that's always the issue that I have is the Black woman who has her one gay male best friend because he helps her with her fashion, he beats her face, <laughs> oh right? Oh, gosh. <laughs> but he still, like, has anti-gay feelings and beliefs or she's uncomfortable around every other gay man or she's uncomfortable around every other gay woman that's not your best friend girl you are using him you are using him and so you know i just think that black women can do better but black women can only do better you know the heterosexual black women can only do better if they are willing to separate themselves from the heterosexism and the patriarchy which is rooted in the homophobia and the anti-queerness because that's really what it boils down to um, just taking that all in wow yeah that was a whole that was a mouthful like who you got me stumped okay <laughs> <laughs> so what i'm hearing then is that if if black heterosexual women really want to be good allies we have to turn are we are you saying we have to turn against our black male partners? No, you don't. Need, you should not turn against your man, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> keep, keep your man, girl. Keep your man, but you need to hold that man accountable. 
Mm. Right? Those are two separate things. I'm not saying to let your man go. What I'm saying is you need to hold him accountable if he's engaging in language that is problematic. And and, and let's let's kind of like back it up some, like to give a very concrete example. Let's say there's a heterosexual couple and they have a child who's a bit gender nonconforming, who doesn't conform to the limited confines of maleness or, or manness or womanness or girlness or boyness, right? And let's just say that male partner is like beating on their, let's just say it's a boy because we know that most of the problems come between black men and black boys, right? So let's say there's a young boy, a young child who's assigned male at birth, trying to make sure I use a like real appropriate language. So there's a there's a father and a child who was assigned male at birth and he engages in more feminine play and behaviors. He wants to wear pink, he wants to wear dresses, he wants to play with Barbie dolls, he wants his nails painted. You're gonna let your man beat on your son because of this. This child is three, let's just say six, right? You're gonna keep letting him do that or are you gonna challenge him to realize that that's actually problematic? Right. Those are those are the concrete examples that I'm talking about where black women can step in and intervene. Now, what if that what if the what if the roles are reversed? So I know we want the we want the women to be better allies. But what if what if it's um, the man who may notice because we do have some male listeners out there and they notice that they're female partner is not um what's the word i want to use um let's say let's just call it what it is the fem- their female partner is homophobic mm-hmm. does he need to call her out i mean here's the thing at the end of the day black people need to support black people if there is any one black person who is not supporting all other black people they need to be held accountable so to me i don't care if you're a man or a woman I don't care if you're straight or gay. If you're doing harm to another person because you are stuck within the rigid norms and expectations that society has set forth, and if we really want to be specific that white society has set forth, then you need to be held accountable. Right? So he should then check her if she's the one doing the harm. Got it. Okay. So we we all need to be holding each other accountable and we all need to be working on being better allies for each other because I get I mean I think the thing is is that yeah we if one of us isn't doing well then none of us are doing well mm-hmm. and that's what Bell Hooks is talking about I mean not in that quote, quote specifically but if you really read any of her work she's really talking about how we have to all love on each other regardless of if we are all the same gender, all the same sexual orientation, or if we all have a variety and diversity and complexity of all the combinations of genders and sexualities. Um, We have to love each other. We have to support each other because that's really the only way that Black people are going to be free. We got enough oppression coming from all these other groups. We don't need it within our own. We really don't. All right, so... I think we have one more question. Earlier in your intro, we mentioned that you started the Check Your Privilege campaign. So before we kind of wrap up, or actually not wrap up, we have a whole nother quick segment, a a fun segment to take you to. But before we dive into that, we want you to tell us a little bit about the Check Your Privilege campaign. 
Yeah, so the Shape Your Privilege campaign really was designed to help USF community become more aware of social inequality and social privilege. And so what I mean by privilege are like the different identities that we hold that society gives power to or privileges over others. So for example, we know that men have more privilege than women. We know that white people have more privilege than people of color. We know that people with a lot of money have more privilege than people who have less money, right? So we really wanted to raise awareness around that. And I I got to realize that this was needed because I teach diversity classes. Specifically, I teach African-American psychology and psychology and sexuality. And students will always talk about these experiences that they've had inside and outside of the classroom where people were either saying problematic things or engaging in problematic behavior, and the students didn't really know how to address those issues. And so the campaign, basically, we came up with slogans, and we came up with artwork, and we had posters all around campus. And so people would see the posters and be like, I don't, what does this mean? And it made them kind of think about the privileges that they have or that they don't have, and how they can actually use their voice for good. And so we really just wanted to give people tools to have academic conversations about emotionally charged topics. And is there a space where people can find that now? Because I think that that Check Your Privilege campaign really ties into the topic that we've been talking about today. Yeah, it absolutely does. Because when we are able to acknowledge the ways in which our individual identities are mapped onto systematic privileges, it makes it a lot easier for us to understand how all of our oppressions are related. And yeah, so there are resources on the USF website, which, you know, I can give you, send that to you, or I don't know how, what's the best way to get it out to your listeners, but if you kind of just Google USF Check Your Privilege Campaign, or my name, it'll come up. It will also come up with a bunch of hate emails and a bunch of hate blogs, but you know, you can go ahead and um, (laughs) ignore those, skip over those. Or read them just so you can see how vile people are, yeah. you know, whatever mood you're in. <laughs> yes, because people, people, you know, internet thugging, you know, oh, people Lord. get on the internet and they just, they just wild out and they just say and do things that they wouldn't say in person. Exactly. And Quiet. when you're doing the work, when you're out there advocating for what's right and somebody feels that their privilege is being threatened, that's when they want to come for you. So you know you're doing good stuff if you're getting hate mail. Well, they can leave me alone, though, with that. (laughs) And right now we're going to move on to one of our new segments called OU Clashes. (laughs) And I'll explain explain what this means. (laughs) Now, don't be scared. Don't be scared. I'm going to preface this by saying because we recognize and appreciate and celebrate the multifaceted woman and believe that it's okay to be classy and ratchet because many of us are and it's okay to be you know elegant and also dance to strip club music if you so choose because i know i do we invite you to this oh you clatchet segment yes we've mixed up the words classy and ratchet okay so do you want to take on this challenge janina let's get it <laughs> yes okay all right so i just have some rapid fire questions for you and feel free to just answer honestly and let's have a let's have a good time let's have some fun first question 
Which song gets you on the dance floor at the club or party? Oh my God, when's the last time I've been to the club? No, we gotta get you out. We gotta get you out. That's the question. I can't, I'm not even gonna lie right now. I have no clue. I don't even know what songs are on the radio right now. The first song that came to my mind just took me back to college when I was in the club all the time. Little John and the Yin Yang Twins. Oh. <laughs> are you going to the Millennium Tour or is that over there? No, no my wife did go though. Really? God, yes, like, she went with her friends. I was like, I cannot put y'all in y'all like in your early two thousand outfits. Yes, you know, you already know. All right, cool. I love it. So, what about your favorite hairstyle on yourself? Oh my gosh, if y'all could see the discography of my hair, I'm going to just call it a discography because it is so vast. To be honest, I've had every single hairstyle from pigtails when I was a kid to the flat iron to a fade to now locks, but locks are by far my absolute favorite. Yes, yes. I love locks, right? All right, what's the best compliment you've ever received? Ooh. Well, the one that I normally get the most that I love is because since I am a gender non-conforming woman, so that basically means that I'm woman identified, but I don't wear girly girl clothes, right? Like all my clothes come from the man section. So you're going to see me with slacks and a button up, but people always compliment me on my shoes, which are generally wingtips and my bow ties. And I always love it because as a woman who's gender non-conforming, it's not always safe to like be your full self. So like being able to like get compliments on my style is always a win. So basically, you be fly, fly. Yes, always. Always. Okay, okay. Every time I see Janita, <laughs> she is fly. Fly. Okay, okay. Now, who is your bad boy or bad girl celebrity crush? Oh, it's not. There is no. I mean, I don't know if people call her a bad girl, but forever, my first wife, my real wife knows this too. But my <laughs> first trouble. wife, Janet Jackson, and if we want to talk about when she was bad girl, when she was my favorite, Velvet Rope Tour Janet. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. That's a good choice. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Mm-hmm. Now, twerk or two step? Oh, I'm a two stepper. I wish I could twerk, but my skill set is not that high. <laughs> You'll have to come to the twerk class yes. with us. Yes. We're getting our twerk game up. <laughs> All right. Your favorite book. Oh, y'all playing. Now you guys, I'm in my office with these three bookshelves and y'all want me to pick one. Hey, I know it's <laughs> Okay. Hard. So I think I'm going to just give you my top two because I just have to. So Asada by Asada Shakur is like one of my all time favorites. And then Zami, A New Spelling of My Name by Audrey Lord. Oh, I just ordered that book the other day. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to read that. Yes, read it. And for all the viewers out there, since we're talking about queerness, if you need like kind of a book to like lead you into understanding the intersectionality of multiple identities for black women, start with Zami. We'll add that in the show notes as well, just to make sure that um, our listeners can get the details there. And the last question for you is what's something many people don't know about you? So something we can't find because if you look Janina up on Google, she lit. So you're going to see all types of articles and whatnot. But what's something people don't know about you? I was a band nerd in high school. Like, hardcore. What does a band like, nerd look like? Tell us more. It's not a matter of what you look like. It's just a matter of what you consume your time with. So I'll just put it to you. My high school, our band was so good. We we were in the Rose Bowl parade my freshman year of high school. So I, like, lived and breathed marching band, jazz band, concert band. <laughs> Field like field shows. Oh, okay, okay. Drum yeah. line over here. 
Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's, that's dope, though. Yeah. Did you go to band camp? No. Okay, I had to ask. I was about to say, that'd, be, that'd, be, that'd be a fish show if we went to band camp. But no, that's that's super dope. This was super fun. And which but instrument? Instruments. So I actually oh. played piano and jazz band, clarinet and marching band, and saxophone and concert band. Wow. Multi-talented. So impressive. So impressive. There you have it, y'all. That is Dr. Janina on the ones and twos. No, I'm just joking. We're not freestyling today. Got a little excited. <laughs> but no, Janine, we want to thank you so much for sharing with us today. I know that we're already going to have to do a follow-up episode because I'm sure folks are going to have a lot of questions. There's going to be some follow-up comments and all that good stuff. And I think it's really important for us to continue these conversations. Yeah. And if you could tell us or tell our listeners where they can find you on social media, if you're open to that. Yeah, so, um, look, this is how old I am. What's, what's my Twitter handle? <laughs> I should go look up my Twitter, right? Right. <laughs> um, I think it's just underscore, it's J, the letter J, underscore Garrett Walker on Twitter. So you can find me there for sure. All right. Well, we will definitely put that in the show notes. So then we will have lots of people following you and DMing you with all their questions. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. I do appreciate you all as well. All right. That was um that was a lot. And I, I'm so curious. I really wish we had like a live studio audience when we when we did shows because I would love to see what your thoughts are, what's going through your mind, what are you I don't know, like what are your facial are, expressions? Why? You know, because this was definitely an interesting topic. It was a new topic for me. I was a little uh nervous about diving into this because mm-hmm. it is something that I'm not I don't really have language for. It's new for me. I mean, literally new as in I've been in San Francisco for four years and I've just started I just learned what pronouns are like recently. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's new, but I knew that it was also very important to have the conversation. I think a young black boy just killed himself recently. Did you hear about that? I didn't hear about that. Basically, Nigel Shelby was a 15-year-old at Huntsville High School in northern Alabama, and he killed himself on April 18th um, after some anti-gay bullying from some teens in his life. And it was just a devastating event for the community. And so folks have really been impacted by that. Oh, Mm -hmm. you know what? I did. The, The thing that I hear often from our community, and I get it, is that, you know, sometimes we feel as though... A certain lifestyle or identity is being pushed on us. And I understand that I see that sometimes, you know, it seems as though, and I hope I'm saying this correctly, because I definitely, I'm saying this from a place of well intentions. I don't want to offend anyone, but this is, this is what I see. But it seems as though sometimes, it seems as though sometimes the LGBT identity and the initiatives are geared toward the black community specifically, usually mm. black men or boys Mm -hmm. or black youth. And I don't see that same energy around other populations. And so I think for us, a lot of people in our community. You mean like the negativity? Negativity, but Mm -hmm. also just like the promotion, which is, and it's, the thing is representation matters. So I think that Mm -hmm. we do need to have a balance of, okay, it's important for young people who I, especially those who identify as being gay or lesbian, it's important for them to see people that I, that, that connect with them and that identify with them so that they can also feel that they can show up in the world as themselves. But at the same mm-hmm. time, when you see, for instance, we were watching a cartoon, my husband and I, the other day, and the only black character in the show had two um, dads, but everyone else had like a, a, a what is it? 
had like a traditional sort of family structure. Mm. And so we see sometimes that it's like, oh, if there's a show and there are, you know, all these castmates, the only black character is gay. But it's like, okay, representation is important, but why can't it be this thing that's sort of across the board and not catered to we want to lead everyone down this road and not have any other option. So it's like gay is the way and you can't be anything else. But it's like there should be representation across the board. So whether you're a straight black male or a gay black male, representation matters across the board. Does that make sense? Yes. Or in, in gender nonconforming or your expression may be a little bit more feminine. Mm-hmm. And so but I think what happens is, is that there may be. This is a whole, like my head, like there's a whole bunch of thoughts running through my head right now. And Mm -hmm. because that's a whole nother topic of conversation about how masculinity is placed on young black men and boys. Mm -hmm. And that's a a whole nother uh, topic. And actually, uh, Janine and I are working on something related to reimagining black masculinity. Interesting. From a black queer feminist perspective. Yeah. And so it's trying to really help us understand that what was what we said earlier, that when we're fighting for if we're fighting for one of us, we need to be fighting for all of us. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. If one of us is not doing well, then None of us are doing well because mm-hmm. it's going to have like a domino effect. Yeah. And so like I think one of the biggest takeaways that I got from this is that this conversation isn't just a one-time conversation, mm-hmm. right? That there was so much that we went into, but we didn't go into. I know. Right? I thought we just barely hit the surface with it. And like we kept saying, oh yeah, we're diving deep. But we really didn't yeah. dive as deep as we could have mm-hmm. because there's just so much with each of those different pieces that we talked about. And so like when we talked about religion, when we talked about just pronouns and terms and like, and there's so many different terms now. There's at least 50 different terms, at least 50 different terms related to gender expression, gender identity, sexual orientation, sexuality, like all is sexual like sexual expression, like all of those things. There are at least 50 different terms. Wow. So when we say that there's not that we shouldn't be thinking about things in a binary, that things truly are on a spectrum, it's because they really are. Mm -hmm. And Janina gave us only a handful of the terminology that's used today. Some of that terminology is used in academia, but a lot of that terminology gets used in in the community. But we're not aware of it. Wow. This is, I'm just taking, I'm just taking it all in because it's still very new, but it's also, it is important. And I realize the importance of us having the conversations and also creating a space for us as, you know, women in her space to be aware of what's happening in the world. Because I think it's very easy to, one, be left behind, but then also um, 
just be viewed as like a very closed-minded person if you are interacting. Let's say you travel and you're interacting with new people and you don't know how to connect with people on a deep mm-hmm. level because you don't know how they identify. You know, you don't know how to address them. And so I think it really is important. And to give you an example, I had a speaking engagement in, um, what was I at? I think it was like Kansas. Mm-hmm. And one of my managers pulled me aside and he was like, hey, he pointed out one of the students and he said she identified, her pronouns are uh, they, them, theirs, theirs, they, them, and theirs. And I was like, okay. And that was new for me. I was like, oh shit. I like it, it just, it was new. I've never experienced that in all the years of like going to different schools and speaking. And so I made sure that when I interacted with them, I acknowledged her in the way that she identified and wanted to be addressed. And initially you'd see, oh, okay, she was born of, uh, you know, a female. So you would, you're, 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 what is it? Conditioning. Your conditioning is to identify her as she or to say her. But if I would have done that in front of the group, that could have made her feel a certain way. Like it could have been a bad situation. So it really is important for us to, you know, learn about these things. And I also think about my cousin. I don't even think I said cousin earlier, but he's openly gay. So, you know, he's Mm -hmm. the one that I was referring to earlier where, you know, he came out when we were younger. And even to this day, he does not have a relationship with his dad and his dad disowned him. And that just, that really breaks my heart to know that you know, you can just, you're trying to be your authentic self in the world and your dad, the person who helped bring you into this world doesn't support that and does not love you and disowns you because of that. And it's just like that, no one should have to deal with that. And I think for me, like I said earlier, when I, you know, have friends that were, that came out to me and there were people that were visible in my life that identified as being gay or lesbian, it really hit me like, wow, this is a thing. And that was years ago before it became, a, a, I want to say nationwide and sort of worldwide. Um, I don't even know what the word, what the word would be, but before it became like a national sort of. Um, before it be, really <laughs> became important for us to really have the conversation, before the conversations became like a national conversation. Exactly. Before it became a national conversation. People were having the conversations and the LGBT rights movement started decades ago. Mm -hmm. But particularly within the black community, there were a lot of spaces where that those conversations were not happening. And I think in terms of being really good allies, you know, um, on our show notes, what we'll do is include some resources and some links Because one of the things that Janina mentioned that I think is so important is for us to recognize that Black LGBTQ students or people, uh, youth, are more likely or have the highest rates of suicide ideation and highest rates of homelessness. Mm -hmm. And if we really are going to be good allies or good accomplices in taking care of one another, if we know someone or we come in contact with someone who needs our help, who needs some support, we want to be able to get you connected to some resources that might be able to help them. And so we'll have those links on our uh, show notes. And I also want to say, you know, I think that Janina made a really good point and I'm kind of like on my Issa Rae tip where it's like, I'm voting for everybody black. I feel like if the black community could really come together, we already have enough on our plate I think if we could just come together, not worry about how people identify and what their sexual orientation is, come together as a community so we can fight the real enemy and the real oppressor, which is white supremacy and the system that we live in 
really in the world, but in our country specifically, I think it's really prevalent where you think about police brutality and all of the different ways that, you know, black people and people of color are marginalized. That's what we should really be focused on by way of like, you know, fighting oppression. So if we could just come together as a community and lead and not worry about really people's personal business and all that. Like it's for what, like, what are we gaining by worrying about what someone, how someone identifies and what their sexual orientation is? Let's just fight the real enemy. That's, that's my perspective. So we had a very, uh, I want to say interesting conversation. I feel that we dove into some stuff, but we didn't dive as deep as Dawn was saying earlier, but we would love to hear your feedback. Like, what is your honest feedback? How do you feel about the conversation? What questions do you have? Please be sure to always leave reviews on iTunes or any other platforms. If you resonated with any of the content, if you were encouraged by any of the content, please give us feedback there. And also be sure to join our new Facebook community. We have created a new Facebook community just for us, because we see the reviews, we see the feedback, we see that you are enjoying the content. And so we wanted to create a space where Dom and I can go live, where we can have conversation. And so if you look at our social media channels, uh, Instagram in particular, at Herspace Podcast, you can find our new Facebook group that is a private group exclusive to our community, and that is called Herspace Sanctuary. There are three questions that you'll need to answer to join that group because we want to make sure that we have quality people that are going to provide value. We don't want any lurkers in the group. We really want to create a safe space where you can share content, connect, network, and sort of strengthen the relationship that we've been building with you over the last few episodes. Thanks for joining us today in Her Space. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health but it is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerSpacePodcast. Or check out our website at herspacepodcast.com. And before we meet again, repeat after me. I release what no longer serves me to manifest what I desire. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week, ladies.